Hey there, it's Noah. Uh, welcome to a little overtime, a little bonus. Uh, what you are going to get right now is the writer of Brass Roots District, Live in the Lot 73. Uh, that would be Desha Veronica, who will introduce herself in a moment. Uh, this is the full, unedited interview that we did. Uh, you will find uh, some of the quotes to be familiar uh, because there were a couple of sound bites pulled into this week's main feature on the main podcast. If you haven't listened to the show this week, stop what you're doing, go back in the podcast feed to the episode uh, that mentions Brassroots District. Uh, it is uh, literally the last thing in the feed. Uh, listen to the show, at least listen to the main feature. Uh, that'll kind of give you the context for what this interview is all about. You don't really want to listen to this until you've either seen the show or at least listen to that. Uh, there will be some spoilers for the show in here. Obviously we go deep. Uh, we talk for about 20, I want to say about, this is looking about 20 minutes, somewhere between 20 and 25 minutes. So, uh, substantial interview. And, uh, it was great. This is a great interview. Uh, she's awesome. I'm so glad that we get to do stuff like this and like deliver you these wonderful interviews with folks and also deliver this uh, really highly produced uh, magazine shit. Well, you know, that's bragging on my part. Anyway, uh, for some reason you're not familiar with No Persinium and you, you landed here, uh, welcome. Uh, the main podcast drops every Friday. We also have a show we call Review Crew, which drops on Thursday. And you can catch up with everything we do at www.nopersinium.com. This is bonus material uh, that is being offered up to everyone in the world because I want everyone to meet our guest. Hi, my name is Daisha Veronica, and I am the writer of Brassroots District. Daisha, when did you uh, get involved with the project? So I signed on, I believe, in March. Oh, wow. So like not not all that long ago. No. Um, I want to say that I was approached in late February and um, – it was something that I wanted to think about for a bit because I've never, so I love immersive theater, but I've actually never written it before. What, what was it about this setup? Cause like, you know, the, the producers and the director have been working on this for a while. What did you see and what they had done that, that made you say yes? What got you to yes? I just thought, I mean, again, like I am a huge lover of immersive theater and uh, the project just seemed so cool getting the opportunity to go back into the 70s and they just seemed so excited about creating this very authentic experience. Uh, and like, you know, honestly, all of the the conceptual stuff was there and I just, I love a good challenge. So it was intimidating to a sense to embark in something that I love, but I've never done. Um, but I just felt like they had the energy of people that if I was going to do this for the first time, I would want to work with this group of people. Where, where was, where is your comfort zone on writing before now? So I actually just completed an MFA in playwriting from UCLA. And so um, when it comes to dramatic writing, 
Um, I've definitely, I mean, I spent a lot of money to fine tune my skills. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, I feel very comfortable with your standard um, one act, two act drama. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I remember, so I've always been into theater uh, and I was actually on the performing side when I was in high school and we went to see Sleep No More uh, for the first time. And that just completely blew my mind as to what theater could be. And I was obsessed and I just, you know, so the fact that like here I am 10 or so years later getting to embark in an immersive world is just so, it's been really exciting for me. What did, you, what did you find was sort of the the challenge of writing for immersive? Yeah, okay. So the challenge was definitely thinking about the interactions that the characters would have with the audience because there's a, a nice, clean storyline throughout the piece. And that, for me, was I loved it. But I think trying to anticipate what I felt like an audience member's reaction might be and then writing possible responses for the characters, uh, at least at first when it was just me. Uh, and then once we started getting into rehearsal and the actors had people to play off of and I could see how they were taking what I was writing, it then became a lot easier. But at first, just being alone and like trying to envision all of these voices. And this is also my first period piece. Um, I usually tend to write pieces in the present um, in my playwriting work. And so this, you know, doing a period piece was also nerve wracking for me because I was like, am I using the lingo right? Like, is this going to sound corny? I kind of love that you were like concerned about that. Cause like the thing that's driving me nuts about period pieces on television these days is that everyone talks like they grew up watching like Joss Whedon shows or something. <laughs> it's driving me insane. Um, if I see one more thing said in the eighties and everyone sounds like, you know, they were in high school during, during the Bush years, I'm just going to throw my television. <laughs> um, Speaking of uh, on the period piece side of side of it, the the show feels kind of like it's in in you know it's in dialogue with now and then. So I wondered mm -hmm. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about about that dynamic about you know the, sort of the, the the act of time travel giving us uh, as an audience giving us perspective on where we are right now. Yeah, for sure. So um, it's set in 1973, and Ari had picked that year for a reason because of what he felt like were the parallels to then and now when we think about, you know, that was the year that Roe v. Wade had passed. Um, and then the war had just concluded and it was just a very like politically active year for America. People were challenging the president. And so, um, I found that as a writer, it was really, you know, there was a lot of fodder there to try and make those parallels in the, in the text for then and now. There's, there's so much joy in the show, mm -hmm. in, in, the, in the production. And yet there is this bite to the drama. Mm -hmm. um, how do you, how do you navigate those, the, the, that sort of Scylla and Carbidus here, you know? Yeah, I mean, so we were, so 
when I signed on to the project, the characters had been conceptualized. Uh, so I had a pool of characters to work with. Uh, but we were basically, so for the first, I think, month and a half, I was breaking story and thinking about, like, what is the arc of this event? Um, and so when we, so when I signed on as well, I think in past iterations of conceptualizing this project, Urso was white. And uh, they told me that they really wanted to create a diverse environment and that Urso was now going to be cast black. And so with her being cast black, I think that um, it opened up room to really think about how black artists were treated in the music industry at that time. So we had this record executive person. Um, <clears throat> and so we were trying to think about how could this person um, create tension through the environment. And, and we knew that um, Ursa and Copper had been former lovers. And so that was something that was established there for me to play with. And so through some of the things that were already built into their character, I kind of created this story about, you know, what happens when a record executive um, and then, you know, big picture, the, the recording industry, like the effect that it can have on a band, both personally and then, you know, thinking about the racial dynamics of the group as well. Yeah, there's it's. It's like distinctly uncomfortable in ways that I don't know, like almost feel like a workout. Does that make sense? <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah. You know, like there's there's moments when like on the dress rehearsal, I was worried for the guy playing. I guess his name is Brian. He plays a record executive because mm -hmm. like the things are coming out of his mouth. I was like, oh, oh, someone's gonna get smacked. Maybe someone's gonna get catch a <laughs> fist. Because damn, man. Oh my god. It's like, so did funny that you say that because I actually took my friends to go see the performance yesterday, and I have a, a friend who like literally like towards the end she like aggressively like walks towards him and like it felt like she was about to go fight him but she just threw her sign <laughs> i love it i love it this is this is the, the, on the on the sunday mat i guess i just missed you because like i was i was there for the sunday mat oh um, yeah, yeah yeah i came for the evening yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wish I, if I'd known, I would have. I would have just if I knew you were gonna be there, I would have I stuck stuck around. Um, on the um, uh, the, there was a lady, like Copper Ari, like had had the contract in his hand, and like was it was it no, it wasn't. It was it's like so, this lady just took the contract. And then put it behind her back. And then like Ari managed to like pass behind her and like get it. So he could still do oh, the wow. bit. Yeah. But for a hot second, it was like, oh dang. Right. Cause I think yeah, I think she actually took it out of the executive. She was like, nope, this is just not happening. Oh my God. <laughs> like Monica was standing there, and, like Andrew was standing there. We were all just like, okay, well, let's see what happens. And like, yeah. but I I had overheard that lady earlier and she was talking about how um she had um she had been this like secret cinema like she had seen like mm. a couple of the secret cinema shows uh one of which was star wars oh and she was like i'm not a star wars person but like it was like incredible because da 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 mm -hmm. and and so it was really interesting there was just this like cross-section of folks 
because there was there was her who had seen that kind of thing and there was like these dudes who like i i at first i was like oh then maybe they're friends they got friends in the show and they're like no we just saw this on fever and we decided to come and i was talking to them at earth afterwards and they were like yeah this was great we didn't think it was gonna be this good and i was like i was telling people like well you know word of mouth helps and one of the guys was like i'm gonna go find a date and bring a date yeah you know and that's what i also love about the like this is a totally different immersive experience that i've even had like i know i created it but then getting to participate in it because it's almost like a two-for-one special like you're getting a concert but then in the midst of that like you're in the middle of this story and so it's and the music is amazing like i love the music and so like i just think it's so cool that it's like there are there are levels to this thing like you know if you're some like you could you could literally just bring a date and enjoy the music and um this idea of like time traveling back to a time that allow and that allows you to put your phone away and not think about social media or that kind of stuff for a change um but then the, the fact that there are these interactive elements and there's a story like it's just it's so cool what are you hoping the audience takes away from it That's such a good question. Um, I think for me, I would say I would love for the audience to, I guess, again, just thinking about the parallels to here and now. I don't know if you got a chance to, did you get a chance to hang out in the van? I did. I did not hang out in the van. If I, okay. if I go again, I might talk Monica and let me go again. I, I will, I will make a point. So, but, yeah. but feel free to tell me it's okay. I, I, I'm, I'm not spoiler averse as it were. No, totally, totally. I just, you know, I think there's just a lot of stuff, especially when we think about women's rights and, um, you know, this idea of letting women have control over their bodies. And so, uh, I'm a very, I love, um, work like, I would say that my writing is fairly feminist. And so like uh, just having that opportunity to find ways, like I know Ari was very passionate about thinking about, you know, how can we incorporate elements of this dialogue around abortion now that our current Supreme Court is very conservative and there are all of these very harsh um, abortion bills or what feel like abortion bills passing, um, anti-abortion bills passing. And um, so there are, there's, there's some stories that characters can offer to you that for me, it was really fun trying to figure out um, how do I get this in while still maintaining, you know, I think that we all kind of knew as we were breaking the story that we wanted it to end on a lighter note. But again, as you mentioned, still allow the story to have some bite and some, you know, you know, just allow people to really think about, you know, how much has has really changed um, and how can we be thinking about doing better um, for the present, thinking about what we have now and what we can do. Yeah, there's definitely these odd moments thinking about this while on the lot of just how sometimes it feels like maybe our society was like more advanced is the wrong term, but like going in a better direction all that time ago. Mm. I don't know. Like, yeah. Well, it's just interesting. I think about, you know, a lot of the stuff, the media that I was consuming, there was a documentary on Apple TV. I think it's called, 
1969. Oh my gosh, I might be getting the year or 1971. But there was a, a documentary that I had been watching just to help me uh, with um, writing and getting into the piece. And it was, I love the way that they filmed it because it's one of those where, you know, you hear the voices, but you're actually really immersed. Um, they don't do any uh, cutting head breakaways. And um, yeah, that time, I mean, I just, it's, you, people really stood for what they believed in and they, you know, to the point where you kind of, you could risk your life going to a protest. There was a particular protest that erupted and um, I remember like four students ended up dying um, because of um, the police kind of randomly shooting out. I feel horrible that I don't remember the specific details, but like- oh, Was that Kent just, State? Yes, yes, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, and so just seeing the ways in which, um, you know, people were really out in the streets, that was very, and honestly, a lot of the footage that I saw in that documentary is reminiscent to the protests that we saw last summer with George Floyd. And like, um, you know, I just, yeah, I, I, I appreciate getting the opportunity to, because then it just, it reminds you of how much we've grown, but how much work we also still have to do. Because history does, you know, unfortunately repeat itself if we're not cognizant of the changes that need to be made. I'll, I'll, I'll land us. I might, it might, this might be the landing. It's definitely the last of the planned ones. Uh, but maybe we'll just chat, chat some more. Uh, and then we'll definitely drop this interview. This is great. <laughs> like, we'll put this out in the world. There'll be some sound bites pulled. I'm already like, okay, good, yes. Uh, actually, the sound bites are going to be the hard part because I'm like, oh, like, ah, I don't want to cut. Uh, that's the job. But that's the job. Yeah. Um, what's I, I got a feeling maybe I might know, but just for sound bite purposes, like, what's your favorite part of the production? Oh man, it's like you're asking me to pick. Oh, yeah. One of my kids. <laughs> this is what we do. <laughs> this is why people hate journalists. So, um, let's see. Let's see. Or even what was here? Maybe we'll make it easier. Okay. What was what was your favorite part of the last time you saw the show? Okay, last time I saw the show. I mean, I think what's always fun is like uh okay all right thinking of a particular moment i think the scene when um i don't know if you got to go backstage but when ursa and copper are kind of having uh an argument throughout uh about through the photo that they're supposed to be taking the group photo uh because it's such an intimate moment where i even watching people yesterday and through test runs where people are like oh my what do i what do I do? And like, I actually, it was funny. I threw them a curveball because this play really is in, you can't deny the, um, the racial dynamics that are at play when we think about Copper getting offered a record deal and Ursa kind of being pushed to the side. And so uh, during one of the test runs, I kind of threw them a curveball where Nancy is trying to tell Copper that he needs to um, let Ursa go and it's time for his shine. And I was like, are you guys really going to leave the black girl behind? And they both looked at me like, oh my God. 
Um, but I wanted to offer that because, um, and then it was funny enough that when I brought my friends on Sunday, uh, my friend actually, she didn't say it in those words, but also offered that same, you know, are you guys really going to do this to her? Uh, and so I think it was, you know, for them, they were like, wow, like it, like, caught us off guard, but also really made us think about like, how do we respond to that? How do we answer that question? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the part of it that feels like you guys are playing with live fireworks. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and and to kind of like go back to the, you know, thinking that like the record is that guy is going to go catch a fist or something like that, you know, (laughs) that someone's going to throw hands because there's just this like, I don't know. There's, there's, there's a need for catharsis. Like there's some, there's already something cathartic about the show. Mm. Right. And like the ending is incredibly cathartic in that bright way. Mm-hmm. And it earns it because of the other acts of catharsis in it, mm-hmm. even though we're not, and it's not like a, it's not an absolution. And I think so much of that comes down to like Ursa's speech mm-hmm. really grounds it, you know, yeah. in a way that, you know, you don't, you don't feel like, Oh, Oh, everything's going to be fine. It's like, no, you yeah. know, like, Oh, there's work that needs to be done, mm-hmm. but we can have this moment because otherwise why would we do the work? And no, that's a sure. yeah, and that that's kind that's kind of feels like it's a <laughs> that feels like a dynamic that's missing from America right now. But that's just <laughs> that's just me. Yeah. Um, so no, yeah. and well, it's funny because that Ursa speech was actually something that we discovered in the rehearsal process because that was also something I was trying to we were trying to balance and not making this like um, you know that typical rom com because when Copper sings her that song you know, he's doing the grand gesture. And so then the question was like, how do we allow Ursa to respond to that grand gesture, um, knowing that we don't want it to be that they, we want them to come together because that is, you know, the theme of the the song that they sing at the end. Uh, But how do we do it in a way that feels right for her and honestly for for all women that are put in that position of the grand gesture i think you know women are taught through the numerous amounts of movies and media that we consume that you know if a guy does something really fucked up to you excuse can i curse oh yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) i may forget Um, to hit the button that tells people there's going to be cursing that's but that's on me not on you okay (laughs) (laughs) i just like to you know check spaces and stuff no it's it's good solid solid Yeah. Um, But yeah, we're taught that, you know, if a guy does something fucked up to you, as long as he um, is able to do this grand thing, and it's often in public, um, that, you know, you should take him back. And if anything, as an audience, we've also been trained to say that you need to take him back, that like he did this for you. And so um, we were really trying to think about, you know, if Ursa wants to take him back, like that's fine, but that she's doing it on her own terms and it's not because he did this grand gesture for her. And so I loved being pushed to explore that and really land there. Uh, And, you know, now that we're talking about it, I actually think that that's probably one of my favorite moments in the play. Just, you know, 
and the fact that I had a team of people that were pushing me to be able to go there. That's fantastic. It's, it's really, well, I guess, well, here for, for everyone listening to like the full version of the interview, I just want to say, Daisha, thank you for, for spending this time uh, with us. Oh and yeah. Hope- thank you for having me. Yeah. Once again, I want to thank Daisha Veronica for being our guest on this bonus episode of the podcast. Uh, you can find tickets to Brassroots District at brassrootsdistrict.com. Also, something that that I like, you know, was completely remiss about uh, over the the original podcast. Something I meant to do was. Um, if you if you want some more, uh, go give a call to three two three five nine six nineteen seventy three. That's three two three five nine six nineteen seventy three to get a little taste of Brassroots District. Um, you can find the full episode, as I mentioned before, uh, over on uh, the No Presidium site. I might drop a link here uh, in the show notes and. We will see you on Thursday here in the feed for the Review Crew podcast. Uh, there might be uh, maybe something, something will go out to the Patreon backers, uh, but uh, we, because we finally got the Patreon feeds working. Um, so, uh, oh, if you are a Patreon backer uh, and you should have seen something called Integration Party <laughs> in the feed, that was us testing to make sure that uh, Patreon and Acast were talking to each other. Uh, the lovely folks at ACAST like tasked, I think like a senior engineer to help like work on this because it was an unusual problem. So, and uh, we did it real time. Simon got it fixed. Big props to Simon. Uh, big props to ACAST uh, for for that level of customer service. So my confidence is, is restored and I'm excited. And indeed, we will have more uh, Patreon backer exclusive stuff in that feed very soon now that it is working. But like I mentioned before, I wanted everyone to hear this one. So, um, and if you are in Los Angeles, please uh, get on get on down to the Brassroots District. All right, enough from me. I'll see you on Thursday or drop by the Discord on Wednesday night when the review crew records the show. Catch you.